I just want to say, I, I said this at the beginning, it, it is good to be with you. And um, it's also sad to see your faces and to not be with you. So uh, the, good, the goodness of our God is that he, he holds us and he knows us and he is with us. And um, we get now to hear from his word. Um, encourage you to, we're going to read um, Genesis 17, 1 through 17. And I think Matt's going to put that as a slide up so we have it um, in front of us. And if you are just joining us for the first time this semester, we have been reading through the life of Abraham together. And uh, we're continuing that for the rest of the semester. And um, Caroline Bryant is going to read this passage for us tonight. And then Ben Milner, uh, the pastor at Salem Prez, is going to be preaching for us. And I'd asked Ben to preach on this passage back in January, and he agreed to um, do it for us tonight. So thank you, Ben. Um, but this is God's word for us tonight. It's God's word for you. Um, it is trustworthy and true, and he gives it to you because he loves you. All right. Uh, Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God, say to, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? I think you go one more. Oh. Or, no, that might be it. Is that it? Or do I read more? Yeah. Good. Good yeah. All right, can you all hear me? Good? Okay. Uh well, um, let me pray for us, if we could, just for a moment. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, fill all the places where we sit right now um, with the Holy Spirit, who is viral and who can 
inhabit each one of our minds as we listen uh, and hear the good news. Thank you that your word, God, um, can travel through letters and through uh, books and through the internet, and that your good news uh, comes with power. Let it come with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I want to look at um, two things tonight. Um, one is circumcision, which is obviously a lot in this passage. Um, and uh, circumcision is uh, the symbol in the Old Testament for, uh, for the people of God. So I want to look at that first. That's, that's a pretty obvious part of this passage. But then um, after that, I want to uh, look at the fulfillment of circumcision, which uh, is the Christian sacrament of baptism. And so there's a link between the Old and New Testaments uh, where circumcision in the Old uh, is fulfilled in baptism in the New, which is basically circumcision uh, at a global level. That's kind of circumcision 2.0, where it's gone to all the nations. It's the fulfillment of, of circumcision. So if that makes sense, first uh, circumcision, and then I'll talk about baptism. So circumcision um, was like a sign or a symbol or a marker um, if you put a, a, a stamp on a letter in, in an ancient letter, you would, uh, you would put wax on the letter to close the envelope and you would stamp the seal of, of the king's face. And so that's what uh, circumcision was. It was a marker of God's people. In, in verse 7, and I am going to be referring to the passage, so if you have a Bible, that would be great. Um, just so you can see that what I'm talking about is really right there. Uh, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. That's what God tells Abraham. And um, the covenant is this everlasting bond between two parties. It's not like a contract. It can't be broken. Uh, the covenants that we make uh, most commonly, it's the covenant of marriage. So when I got married, I said, I, Benjamin Milner, take you, Margie Morgan, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold uh, from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And I know that some of you are going to be making that same vow um, soon. And uh, God is essentially, um, he's marrying this whole group of people by marrying Abraham. He comes to Abraham and he initiates the, the relationship and he just says, I am going to be your God. He doesn't ask Abraham to sign a contract. He just does it. Uh, verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and your family as an everlasting covenant. And that means in sickness and in health, uh, to love and to cherish till death do us part. He makes this absolute co commitment to them. And um, one thing that people have a hard time with sometimes in the, um, in the Old Testament, and really in the New as well, is this idea of God choosing a people, uh, election. And people will say, like, why did God choose Abram? He was just as bad as any of the other people alive at that time. Uh, he didn't do anything special. Um, is God uh, choosy? Is he selective? Is he exclusive? Does he have favorites? And um, I think that the, the answer to that is the reason that um, God chose Abraham is because God was beginning uh, to um, create a, a rebel alliance to fight against uh, an evil empire. And uh, the story of the scripture, the big story is that God's world was taken over. Uh, it was taken over by an evil genius, a dark lord, um, which the story of, of Star Wars, the saga of Star Wars or the Lord of the Rings. Oh, there's Luke Skywalker. Okay, so 
Um, yeah, that's a, it's a great depiction of the big story of scripture where uh, this good galaxy in a universe that God made has been taken over by an evil genius who is uh, more insidious than Darth Sidious. And he has turned all the, the members of this uh, galaxy, if you will, against uh, the creator, against God uh, who made them. And he has caused all of us uh, to mistrust and not believe in God um, and, and, not, uh, and not have faith to be um, doubting God, to be anxious, to be nervous and fearful. So uh, because of the situation of where the, this evil empire has taken over the universe, um, God chooses this man, Abraham, um, as a, to be at the spearhead, at the tip of the spear of this rebellion, this resistance movement uh, against this evil empire. And that's essentially what the kingdom of God is. It's a, it's a resistance movement to undermine and sabotage and subvert this empire that we live in. And here's where circumcision comes in. Every uh, resistance movement has a symbol or an insignia or a sign. If you know about World War II, you know that um, in France, there was a French resistance movement and they had a symbol and it's like a cross. Uh, but it has two bars. So if you can imagine one here and here, that, that's a famous symbol um, in, in the history of battles. But this symbol right here of Luke's helmet, uh, that kind of like a swan almost. I mean, you see people with this on T-shirts sometimes walking around. I've seen people with hats with that symbol. That's the symbol of the Rebel Alliance, of course, in the Star Wars saga. Um, but God gave his people a better symbol because it's not just something that you can paint on or, um, paste on or stitch on. It's a, it's, it's a permanent, it's deeper than a tattoo even. It's a, it's a deep, deep um, mark on a child. And that is, of course, a circumcision. That was how you distinguish the people from the empires like Egypt or Assyria or Babylon versus the people of God, the Jewish people, the Hebrew race. And so in verse 11, if you look there, uh, look at what God tells Abraham there. Uh, you shall uh, be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So uh, it's kind of uncomfortable, um, this violent and bloody sign. When our son uh, was circumcised, uh, he was like between one and two days old, and he, uh, he cried a lot, and we couldn't even watch it. It's, it's un very unpleasant. And so... You know, imagine Abraham having to perform that operation um, with like a flint knife, no anesthesia, um, on his own son in verse 12. He was eight days old. So this, this child uh, was going to be a few days older than our son, but eight days old. Uh, he who was eight days old must be circumcised. So why would God do this, you know, this terrible thing, this inhumane thing to the, the male children of, uh, of Abraham? Uh, and I think the reason is um, it's, a, it's a powerful symbol of, of the kingdom, of the resistance movement. Um, the Apostle Paul calls, he has a lot to say about circumcision, and uh, he calls circumcision in Colossians 2.11. You might want to look that up or put your finger in that passage. It's going to come up again. Colossians 2.11. Um, he calls circumcision a stripping away. Uh, again, a very graphic image, a stripping away of the flesh. And um, the flesh throughout the whole Bible is a, is a symbol of hardness of heart, 
uh, of uh, insensitivity. Oh, there's my outline. Um, so right now we are in C, basically, 1C, between 1C and B. So circumcision uh, the, is, is a stripping away of the flesh, which is this uh, unresponsiveness, this mistrust, all the stuff I was talking about earlier, anxiety, um, doubt. That's what the flesh is. And then circumcision strips that away. And so it's, it's, it's Israel saying no to the empire. We are not going to join you in uh, your conspiracy of mistrust in God. And we're just not going to do that. And so that's why in verse one, God says to Abraham, I am God almighty. I am all powerful. I control everything in the universe that's going on right now. And so I want you to walk before me and be blameless. Um, and so that's like, that's the slogan of, of the kingdom. We are people who walk before God. We don't mistrust God. Um, we, we walk before him. We're blameless in the sense that um, we follow him. Doesn't mean we never sin, but we're blameless in the sense that we always continue to walk forward and to trust him. It's basically trust. That's turning your back on um, the empire. So that's the first part. That last thing I just said was that circumcision is a sign of our vulnerability, uh, stripping away the flesh, our trust, our vulnerability to God. So that's one. Now, um, two is baptism. And if you look at verse five, you see how all along from the very beginning of circumcision, it was intended to go viral to all the nations. And so it says in verse five, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. It's interesting there that uh, you realize that the reason that Abraham and his people were blameless and walked before God is not for themselves. It was for the nations. Um, I have made you a father of the multitude of the nations. So the, the sign of circumcision uh, was always meant to become an international phenomenon. And the reason that Abraham and his children did all these difficult things where they trusted God was not for themselves, but for the world. Uh, to, to Again, to be the seedbed of a much larger global movement that all of us on these screens here are part of. Um, the kingdom of God uh, going from just Israel, little tiny strip of land in the Middle East, to then all over the whole world. And this is now moving to point two, because uh, baptism is in some ways, it's the fulfillment of circumcision. It's like circumcision 2.0, if you will. And so now we're moving into uh, the outline um, baptism, um, A. This is, this is the new symbol of the rebel alliance. And this happened basically at Pentecost, where um, if you know the story of Pentecost, on that day, when Jesus ascended into heaven as the king, he, he began the rule in a way. This was the day where the Holy Spirit came down from the king and he inaugurated his full force rule uh, of, the, of the universe. The ascended king sent his spirit. And um, at that moment at Pentecost, all these nations were gathered in Jerusalem. All these people from different nations were gathered. And that's essentially the moment where the kingdom suddenly just blew up. And it went from being just Israel to all the nations. And you see that in this passage, it's already predicted. In verse six, he says to Abraham, I'm gonna make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. That means that, that from that one little man and all of his children, the seed, the seed is going to become like all the nations are going to be part of this. And so when, the, um, when that happened, when he made uh, Abraham into the nations uh, at Pentecost, when the spirit came down, they didn't, they didn't circumcise all the people out there in the crowd. They, what do they do? They baptized them. Uh, they baptized them. And that's why... Paul calls baptism a circumcision of 
the flesh. And also he calls it a circumcision of Christ. And that's the real key here is that Paul was very aware that uh, circumcision was no longer the mark of God's people. He had a lot to say about that to a lot of churches. If you read Galatians, you see a lot about circumcision. He said, that's not the mark anymore. The mark is now changed to baptism. We're going to baptize everyone. Um, if you look at Colossians 2.11, this is the key verse, uh, Colossians 2.11. And look at what Paul says there if you have that in front of you. I'll read it if you don't. He says, uh, he says to the Gentiles of the little city of Colossae in uh, Asia Minor in Turkey, he says, in Jesus Christ, you Gentiles from every nation were circumcised. That, that's circumcised because they really weren't literally circumcised. He says, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, this is a deeper than physical circumcision. The circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism. So if you notice the equivalence there, circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism. In other words, uh, baptism is the the new, the real, the deeper fulfillment of circumcision. And it, in a way, it's a more violent sign. I know in some ways it's not um, because you're just dealing with water. You're not dealing with a, a knife um, or a scalpel. But in another way, it's uh, the imper anti-imperial power is even more aggressive and stronger here because it's not just cutting off the foreskin. It's really, it's like drowning. It's like you were, you were drowned, you were buried with him in baptism and then raised to life. So baptism is a symbol of dying and rising with Christ. Um, that's what it's a it's a very powerful uh, sign. You know, if you've ever seen the Titanic, that uh, that last scene where uh, DiCaprio, you know, drowns and becomes like blue and he's on the, the iceberg floating around and then he just sinks. Uh, that's a good symbol of dying. You know, he's dying um, with Christ. And then if he imagine if he came back, back up out of out of the out of the icy depths and he jumped back on the ship or something like that, that would be the symbol of baptism of dying uh, completely dead and cold down under the water and then rising again. It's a it's a powerful symbol of the kingdom people who are people who have died to the empire and then raised to life in a new citizenship. We are no longer citizens of the domain of darkness, but we are citizens of the kingdom of the beloved son. So uh, last thing I want to say, um, a lot of you on those screens there have been baptized. Probably most of you have been baptized. Um, some of you have not been baptized, and uh, I highly encourage you to do so. I, I recommend it highly. I was baptized when I was um, in my late 20s, and um, one of the more powerful things that ever happened to me. Um, some of you were baptized as children, some as adults, some as both, <laughs> some more than three times. And uh, the point is not the number of times or when you were baptized or whether you were sprinkled or dumped. Um, it doesn't matter when it happened or, or, or where it happened. It matters what happened. And what happened was you were marked at that moment of baptism, whether you knew it or not, whether you were a child or an adult, uh, you were marked as a rebel for life against the empire. That's what happened when you were baptized. And another, another thing, when I baptized babies, and we believe uh, in baptizing babies, um, in our church, Presbyterian Church. Uh, so I compared to Harry Potter, where, you know, when he when he confronts uh, Voldemort as a little tiny baby and Voldemort tries to kill him, it kind of somehow bounces back and it doesn't work. And instead of dying, Harry Potter has a scar for the rest of his life, that little lightning scar. And that is his call to his destiny. That's who he's meant to be. And, and when a child is baptized, I always say to the parents, this is his destiny. This child is marked out uh, as 
part of a resistance movement against uh, anxiety, against an empire of fear. Uh, it's a call out of, you know, out of the narratives of doom and fear and gloom that we live in right now. It's a, it's a call for us on these screens, these 91 screens, to be pushing back against um, that mistrust and anxiety that, that we feel and people around us feel more deeply. And this is, baptism says, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to live in that story. And so I know that um, tonight when you go to bed, uh, you might feel a lot of anxiety about maybe your grades, uh, not seeing your friends, um, graduation, uh, what's gonna happen in the fall. We don't even know what's gonna happen in the fall. And that's a time where you tell yourself, uh, I have been baptized. And my identity is now as a member of this rebel alliance against uh, the emperor of fear who tries to get me not to trust my father in heaven, um, that I am part of that group of people uh, that are the children of Abraham that have gone into all the world, into all these little rooms we're in right here, um, with this mission to trust in God and to fight against unbelief. And I can tell you right now, you know, I, I say that, all, all those things, and yet I can tell you right now that I am, uh, I'm not doing very well right now with fear, with this coronavirus. Uh, I slept about three hours Sunday night, so I don't come to you as a person who's claiming to have conquered fear. Uh, that's not what it means to be a baptized person or someone who's in the kingdom of God. Um, I cannot find a rhythm in my days. I don't know if you're like that, but I, I'm disoriented and don't even really know exactly when to eat meals right now. I don't know um, what day of the week it is a lot of times. I'm going to bed uh, way too late, waking up way too late. And then I have a lot less work to do than I normally do. And I can't even get to that work. Like I'm not getting as much work done, even though I have less. And as are many, all of you, I would imagine, uh, we miss Wake Forest. Um, we missed the campus. And um, I was running around there yesterday and uh, there was just no one there. It was very sad. And, um, you know, just going by those familiar buildings and Rinaldi Gardens, which, by the way, are completely packed. There's not a parking space available in Rinaldi Gardens. But, um, you know, the Empire would say to me and to you right now, um, you know, where is your God? That's one of the that's one of the biggest refrains in the Bible. Where is your God? It's what the empire says to the people of God. Um, that's, what was, that's what they said to Jesus on the cross. That's what they said to David when, when he was being attacked. Um, King David, where is your God? The psalmists, they said, where is your God? Psalm uh, 42, they mocked us. They mocked the psalmists who were members of the kingdom. Where is your God? Maybe he's left you. You know, maybe, maybe he's not even real. And that's what, um, that's what we hear, these voices. And then you come back with your baptism and you say, no, um, no, God started the relationship with me when I wasn't seeking him at all. Uh, God began this work in me and he's going to bring it to completion. In verse one, you notice that Abraham was doing nothing at all but doubting God. If you know the story, he was doubting God. Uh, when he was 99, it says the Lord appeared to him. He was just sitting there like whittling a stick or shucking corn or something, doing nothing. And God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. You know, God uh, came to me personally when I was totally clueless, a senior at Wake, no faith at all. I was a card-carrying atheist. And God said, uh, I, am your, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. 
He just married himself to me. So um, the voices of the empire are false. They are false. And um, God speaks these words uh, to Abraham's heart. And they're just like, they're just spears that go into him. In verse 16, uh, these amazing promises are made where God says, I will bless Sarah. I will give you a son. I will bless her. She shall become nations and kings of people shall come from her. And those words of promise uh, fill him with so much ecstasy and joy that it says in verse 17, he fell on his face and laughed. And just imagine, uh, it was a good laugh. It was a deep, hearty laugh. And imagine right now in the middle of the coronavirus being able to just laugh, to, to read the word of God, to hear it being spoken to you right now, and uh, with no clear end in sight, not knowing what's going to happen, and just being filled with so much um, confidence in those promises of God uh, that you can actually laugh in the face of the empire. Um, baptism is God reminding you, you know, whether you're in Tampa uh, or in Richmond or Washington, D.C. or Lancaster, uh, Atlanta, Birmingham, Dallas, Raleigh, Charlotte, Orlando, Pauly's Island. I was just thinking about places where I know some of you are from. He's like, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I'm still with you. You're not awake for us, but I'm with you where you are. And I just want to end with this uh, song, uh, the exile sang when they were in the empire scattered in Babylon. And uh, this is linked to the idea of, of Abraham laughing. Um, this is Psalm 30, 11. Uh, as they're, they're waiting to return to Jerusalem, perhaps they're even marching back to Jerusalem, the exiles coming back home, as many of you will come back to mother so dear. And they say, you have turned my mourning into dancing for me. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So let me pray uh, to close us. Uh, Lord, uh, take away all of our anxiety and fear and mistrust and doubt um, and help us to know that all will be well because you're with us, not because you promised us any particular circumstances, but because uh, you will never leave us nor forsake us. You have married yourself to us. You have bound yourself. You're, you've tied yourself to the mast of, of our lives, and uh, you will carry those promises you've made to us through to the end. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.